Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 102 of the OCR Underground Show. If you want to check out the show notes for today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 102. And while you're online, do me a favor and check out the sponsors of today's episode. Uh, the Amino Company makes high quality essential amino acid supplements. If you've listened to uh, my interview with Dr. Robert Wolf, um, he talked about some really cool research and, and really all the, the reasons why you need to pay attention to, to making sure you're getting in some essential amino acids. So if you haven't listened to that one, uh, make sure you go back and check out that interview uh, because it can help you in a variety of ways. Uh, so many clients I work with really struggle to get enough protein in. And while whole, whole food sources are uh, ideal, obviously supplements can help out and supplements like the AminoCo can make this uh, incredibly easy to hit some of those goals. Uh, they have formulations specifically for increasing training performance, muscle repair and recovery, as well as improving liver function. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting peak athletic performance and maximizing training effects, I'd highly recommend checking out the Amino Company. Right now you can get 30% off your order when you visit aminoco.com OCR. And don't forget to use code OCR at checkout. Also, make sure you check out FitTrack. FitTrack Scale Dara is an incredible tool that helps you monitor your progress. The Dara is an easy to use, comprehensive, and accurate scale that gives you 17 health metrics to monitor, including body fat, BMR, metabolic age, body water percent, bone mass, and much more. It's easy to understand and explains what each metric means specifically for you to help you make better decisions and see more improvements with the hard work that you're putting in. Uh, features progress reports, health scores, nutrition logs, uh, and even has some exercise videos and recipes in them as well. Uh, FitTrack helps you get a comprehensive picture of your body, which helps you make smarter choices that can have significant impacts on body composition and performance goals. So if you want, you can check out um, uh, the FitTrack Dara scale. Right now, it's actually 50% off on the website, and you get an additional 20% off when you use code OCR underground, just visit getfittrack.com and start measuring your progress. Well, it feels good to be recording this episode right now. I've had a kind of a crazy few weeks. Um, most recently, uh, I had Memorial Day and actually on Memorial Day that evening, I flew up to Sacramento and uh, drove out to uh, the Cal Fire training facility and um, taught the FMS level two course. I got to teach the level one course there last year. So got to meet with them again, teach the level two course, which was awesome. Definitely a long day. Uh, so I'm still catching up a little bit from that. And, and actually the weekend before I was in LA teaching a course uh, with exercise, etc., on functional aging. And actually the day before that, I was up in Big Bear teaching the obstacle specialist course for the Spartan race up there and definitely want to take a minute and talk about that course uh it was so fun I, it's been a while since i've gotten to teach 
the OS course. So to get up on the mountain and uh, and go through some of the obstacles with some great people was really cool. Um, hopefully they they got a lot out of it. I know we had fun. It was a long day uh, hiking that mountain and, and going through the obstacles, but uh, it was definitely good. And I know it's always worth it when you get out there early and get to uh, practice a few different strategies on the course. Uh, so I'm sure some of you listening got to experience the the race. Um, unfortunately, like I said, I had to drive right over to LA after teaching this course to uh, to teach another one. So I was hoping to race, but it just wasn't wasn't uh, able to make that happen this year. Um, but man, I will say, and I'm sure you've heard this already, that was a tough course. Uh, we were, you know, just walking, and you know, you know, when we could, we cut through sections so we didn't have to walk the entire course because the individuals in the class were going to be racing the next day so we we're trying to be as efficient as possible um but i can i could tell right out of the gate that this was going to be a pretty tough race and um it sounds like it didn't disappoint from all the comments that i've i've seen online uh, about this this particular course now i think it's it's big bear right it's on the mountain you're going up the slopes so that is to be expected. So I really, I don't think the actual course and the incline was anything, you know, crazy or, you know, harder than in, in previous years. Obviously doing that double lap, I think mentally seems a lot tougher because you've, you've done it once and now you have to do it again. And, you know, kind of like you're doing an ultra and have to, to reset that mind to, uh, to start over is tricky versus when you're just doing one long, you know, 12, 13 mile course, but, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. And hopefully if you ran that race or I should say walked or hiked that race, uh, you were ready for it. Right. And that's the one thing with, with races like this, you can't plan on running a whole lot unless you're a good downhill runner, right? If you can run downhill, you definitely have a few opportunities to run, but otherwise you're, you're power hiking, right? You're just trying to get up that mountain. So in that term, I think it is what it always is. It's it's a beast. It's it's challenge to uh to climb up there. Um, but what I in my mind, what the real difficult part was just on how they set up all the obstacles. Um, from what I remember, I don't think there was a single obstacle that wasn't on a hill, right? Right out of the gate was the barbed wire crawl, which was uphill and windy and and because it was so early, I can only imagine the lines that started to develop um, by the time you got there. So the the wall setups that they had, I, I just think it added so much to it because every wall you saw was up on an incline. So I remember when uh, we got to the box, just how how much of a struggle. Normally, that's a pretty hard obstacle to get through. Um, but when when the whole box is leaning forward, it's it's making it that much harder um just really hard to get get that foothold on the rope so you can reach up and, and get over that um you know it, it's typically when i do it i don't even use the rope i just run and jump because i have the height to do that but you know with a with a wall that high on on an incline at the top of a of a climb it makes it much more more difficult same with the seven foot wall you know it, everything inverted wall they were all all on that incline the the only time you might have gotten a, an advantage was like the z wall that was actually coming downhill that in the olympus uh the olympus is always hard but i thought that z wall because of of how they put it assuming you picked the the right side to uh to go down that wasn't too bad but they did have that z wall uh the updated one i forget 2.0 or whatever they call it um so that was cool to to play on that and see that out there so just adding a little little bit to it um but yeah even uh the the twister is is always a challenge um 
The beater even seemed to be going uphill a little bit. And then at the finish, going through that stairway to Sparta, um, man, what a hard obstacle in general. And then when you're, well, one, when it's the very last obstacle and, um, you know, kind of even it wasn't up a like a, a an incline, it still was a slight, slight incline. So they really didn't give you any breaks um, for any of these obstacles. So uh, that stairway to Sparta, I can only imagine not many people were able to to make that over uh, unless you're tall and have great grip strength and you can pull yourself up there's a hard, you know, not many options for you to get through that one. Um, even the spear throw, I just thought it seemed it, you know, it was the usual distance, but it just had that slight incline and it made it feel like you were a lot farther away. And that was one thing we had to practice a lot was just reminding people one, you have the smaller target now with that wood, wood target over the hay. But the fact that it's kind of uphill a little bit, it's higher. So you just have to aim a lot higher and put a lot more behind it in order to reach that target. So another one, I bet there was, you know, there's always a high failure rate with the spear throw, but I bet it was a little bit higher than normal. And it just sounded like in general, there was a, a high failure rate for the race and, and quite a few DNFs. So hopefully you were one that made it through, but if not, just know that, man, that was, it was a tough one. And uh, just being out there, hopefully you just enjoyed it, pushed yourself and kind of know what, what to expect if you want to take on that race again, that, it's going to take a lot to uh, to be able to get through some of those obstacles. So, um, you know, regroup if you struggled. And uh, now we just put in that that time and hopefully the, the next race will be a little bit easier uh, to get through. So you can you can uh, get some of that confidence back there. So as always, I have a, a great episode for you today. Uh, what we're going to be covering in my research review, I want to talk about uh, a study on high rep training. And uh, we're going to look at high rep training and, and actually how it, how it uh, affects endurance performance in particular. In the Inside Mike's Mind segment, we're going to talk about this, uh, something uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and this idea of max effort versus movements and the importance of getting yourself into different positions and postures. And uh, I promise that'll that'll make more sense once we get into it. But this is, I think, a really great topic to to talk about. Uh, and then finally, I have an awesome interview. I uh, chatted with uh, uh, Scott Knowles from the I Am Spartan podcast, and always great to chat with him. It's been a while since we've talked, so got to uh, you know talk a little bit about how he got into OCR and and why he started his podcast, and really just talked uh, a, a lot of great things on some of his thoughts on, on how he trains and how he's been so successful with with some of his races, in particular with with ultras, uh, he's found uh, that that seems to be kind of his his niche, and he shares some of his his thoughts and, and training advice, uh, and and much more that we talked about. So definitely uh, check out the interview today. All right, so let's get into today's episode. All right, let's look at some research today. I want to look at a study looking at it's actually a systematic review and meta-analysis which just means it's like a study of studies so it's trying to look at what all these different studies say about a topic um, which are typically very useful to uh to get multiple studies to to see if they are are finding kind of the same thing or or, or not so this is uh, looking at the effects on high repetition strength training on performance in competitive endurance athletes 
And essentially what they did was they wanted to find any study that looked at high repetition strength training and its uh, effects on performance, like it said, within, in particular with endurance. So what, I guess we should define what do they mean by um, high repetition. Uh, so here they were looking at um, at least 12 or greater repetitions per set and using loads that were roughly like, you know, they said 67%. So these are moderate loads to, um, to lighter loads with, uh, with high repetition efforts and typically using shorter rest periods in between. Now, I think, you know, one thing we often see with strength training is, you know, this high rep versus low rep, men, uh, not mentality, but, you know, style of, of training that you might be doing. And, you know, kind of the old school thought was, hey, if you're trying to get bigger, you should do heavy weights, less reps. If you're trying to get more ripped, more cut, you should be doing uh, lightweight for more repetitions. And hopefully we all, you know, haven't have seen the information out there to know that that's not really true at all. Um, what you're doing when you're lifting with high high intensity effort or heavier weight is you're you're challenging more type two motor units and muscle fibers and you're building strength right that's how you get strong is you um, lift heavier weights and because it's heavy you just can't lift it very often very many times so for low repetitions at high intensity on the other end you have your high repetition work with lighter loads relative to your one rep max and these don't get you ripped right obviously that's a complex thing where obviously diet and and things like that are going to come into play what what lifting high repetition at lighter load does is target more your type one your slow twitch fibers um mainly and it is uh going to stress the cardiorespiratory system because you're you're having to work for a much longer time now so you have that cardiac response to it you're um you know increasing the need for fuel through glycolysis and using carbohydrates for fuel a little bit more so you're going to have more lactate production and kind of dealing with things like that so you're, you're building your endurance your strength endurance and the other you're building more pure strength and then obviously you have everything in between right so moderate loading moderate reps and this is more ideal if you're just trying to build muscle size so all of these are good to do um but i think when people think of endurance training they go right to this high rep scheme right that you should be doing more reps and that's going to be ideal for something like endurance performance so uh this study looked at a uh, a number of, of different studies so there were um about 20 total studies that they were able to look at to that kind of looked at this and what they were looking for were um endurance athletes comparing to a, a control group using high repetition strength training for at least four weeks and they measured some type of performance measurement physiological measurements um you know muscle size and strength and and adaptations that occur with training uh or like time trial and and like actual performance measurements like how fast they they got based off of that so they wanted to run the statistics and basically see how well did high repetition strength training impact these different measurements um and so the interesting finding was that they did not find any significant improvements over control groups um, using high repetition strength training now 
they do admit a limitation or a couple limitations. Um, but one of them being that most of these studies were relatively short, like four weeks. Um, you know, the most they found was up to 12 weeks. And it, probably if we just measured more times or more, more duration, then we might get a, a response because sometimes it just takes a while for people to respond to different training methods. But either way, uh, this is what they found, that, that this high repetition training didn't really increase performance on these different types of measurements they did. On, on endurance athletes. So I think that that might sound surprising. And uh, I think we should talk about, you know, a couple different things here. Now, the first thing is, I don't think that's bad just because they didn't find any improvements. I already talked about one limitation there, um, but it also depends on the, the type of person that's using training, where they are in their season um, and, you know, how long they've been training for and, and things like that. But I do think that some people get kind of stuck on this high repetition, right? 10 reps, 12 reps, 15 reps, 20 reps. Um, and that's kind of all they do. And when we're building a strength program, I think it's important to think about what are all the reasons you want to do strength training? And I think high repetition, lower intensity work is good in some situations. And then I think low uh, or high intensity, low repetition is going to be good in other areas. So if I have, uh, so for, for example, when you might want to include more high repetition work, I think maybe if you're dealing with somebody newer, right? They're, they're not, um, they haven't been strength training very long, right? Maybe they've been doing a lot of endurance training, but not much strength work. I think it makes more sense to start with lower intensity work and just build on repetition, build form, build technique, build that endurance, right? You're going to get lots of adaptations, not just with the muscle tissue, but connective tissue. Um, and one of the big reasons we do strength training is to make, make people more resilient, right? So they're less likely to get hurt. And I do think you have that benefit there when you're starting this way and, and making the body, you know, just more durable, even if that doesn't directly relate to faster running times or, or anything like that. So even though the study show that high intensity or high repetition strength training may not in, improve performance, I don't think we should throw it away. I think we should still just think about when am I going to probably benefit from doing this most. So I think number one is somebody new to strength training. I think this is going to be ideal. So if you're just getting kind of into strength work, you may want to consider doing more of this type of rep scheme. Uh, the other thing is more off-season training. I do think this will be beneficial as you're building that base, right? You're you're gonna um, just again prepare the body for for the beatdown when this when the in-season training starts. So um, when you're building your volume with your running, you might be doing more um, low intent low repetition or I'm sorry low intensity high repetition work for that that off-season. Um, and you get like I mentioned, you get that little cardio respiratory response as well, which is, is going to be beneficial there as well. So I, I think those are kind of uh, some good areas that we want to um, to incorporate this style of training, regardless of what, what this, this study is showing. Now, what I do think this hopefully is illustrating the point of is make sure you are doing some low repetition work, right? So if you find that most of your training involves sets of 10, 15, 20, lighter loads, things like that, you probably want to incorporate more, more 
pure strength work, right? Because again, this is how we get, we get stronger. We put a challenge on the body and we expose it to those stresses and it's going to adapt and, and get stronger and stronger. So while that might not be a great place to start though, like I mentioned, it's something that we're going to progress to. So if I think about the, the year in training, when I'm starting more of my off season work and, and just uh, trying to, to build some endurance and some basic strength and, and work on some weaknesses, I think do some high repetition work and, and build that, that, that uh that strength that strength endurance there but as that you know as weeks go by we are going to start to you know progress and periodize that program and go into more heavy loading lower repetition work um and that's going to be beneficial when we get to our in in season training again is it going to improve performance that's always hard to tell i do think you know there is some research on strength training improving running economy and um and things like that um, but like I said, remember, a lot of times we're doing strength training to become more durable and more resilient, and it's not just about the performance. So even if it doesn't necessarily make me a faster runner, it's going to make me a stronger runner and less likely to get hurt. So I just think that's a smart way to go about it. So hopefully that all makes sense. But again, there, there's it don't it, it, often we like that dichotomy of good, bad do this, not that. And it rarely ever works that way. And I think this is, you know, this study is just another example of even if this research is saying it didn't show improvements here, that doesn't mean we throw it away, but it also means pay attention because I think there's probably other things we want to incorporate than just this one training style. So, so think about that in your program, especially if you've been doing the same type of lifting for a long period of time, um, you know, work on that endurance. If you haven't, if you've only been doing strength and then on that strength if you've only been doing endurance both are going to be beneficial here in today's inside mike's mind segment i want to build off a little bit on what i was just talking about in a research review and a little bit more on strength training now there's a lot of different ways we can put together a, a strength training program. And it's, you know, they have a lot of good reasonings behind high reps, low reps, like some of the things that we talked about already. I think it's important to really understand, well, why are you doing strength training in the first place? And uh, of course, that's not a one answer question, but I think you might gear your training one way or the other based on maybe what you need a little bit more of, or maybe you need a little bit of everything. But I think some of the biggest reasons that you're going to do strength training is obviously one, you're trying to get stronger. So if you're trying to get stronger, you need to be overloading the body appropriately to get to get stronger. And you do this with usually your big lifts, things like deadlifts and squats and bench press pull ups, things like that. So kind of your standard exercises there. Um, you'll also do strength training to build efficiency in other areas like running. So the the more you do strength training, tend, we tend to see better um, things like running economy, right? You're more efficient with your running because not only are the muscles stronger, the joints are stronger, the fascia responds. So all these great things that can improve your running efficiency. So you don't use as much energy when you're, when you're running, which obviously is a good thing if we're trying to go for endurance. Um, Plus, there's this um, added benefit of resiliency. I think we do strength training to, um, you know, we can't avoid 
100% of every injury out there, but I think we can do a lot of different things to make our bodies more resilient, right? Obviously, if you're stronger, there's less likely things that can go wrong. And then I do think that can backfire too, right? If all you're doing is focusing on strength, pure strength work, um, you're missing out on a lot of key areas. And that's kind of what the direction I wanted to take this, this section into was um, this main benefit of, of strength training that I don't think most people are taking advantage of. And because we focus so much on the strength and, and obviously if, if you need improvements in strength, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but you need to overload the body and, and you'll get stronger. Um, but I think with strength training, we need to expose the body to different positions, to different postures, different challenges, not just more weight. And um, so, yes, we, we have this idea of, of max effort, right? So I'm going to challenge myself as much as I can with, you know, the heaviest weight that I can deadlift. Um, that's great. And I think you should definitely expose yourself to those types of things. But also this idea of, of resiliency and, and exposing yourself to different postures, not just intensity. And, and this may not make sense, but hopefully by the time we're, we're done chatting here, it will um, be clear some of the things that you probably want to start to incorporate. I, I usually give the example of, you know, how many people do you know, they, they hurt themselves and they weren't actually doing anything that strenuous. You know, they bent down to tie their shoe or pick something up um, or, you know, they were in the car and they reached behind the, you know, turn around to, to grab something in the back seat and they, they hurt their shoulder. Um, you know, things like that, right? It's just not strenuous, but we put ourselves into these positions that we're not used to being in. And when, particularly when we're in some of these end ranges, that's when we tend to be weak or weaker. And um, then you, you strain the body in that position. And now you're dealing with some type of, of injury. And um, I think most people can probably relate to something like that. So while lifting really heavy will will help, I think there's some better things that you can do, right? So when you're, let's just use deadlifting for an example, if you're lifting the heaviest weight you could lift or, or anything near that, right? You're doing it in a very specific way. You're making sure that your, your, your spine is staying in a nice, strong, neutral position. You're lifting with your hips, you're bracing your core, you're breathing a specific way. You're doing all these things to protect your body so you can lift this weight. But if you think about how you move in, in real life, you often aren't doing things like that, right? Maybe I need to pick something up heavy off the floor and I might think about some of those things, but it's a much more natural movement, right? And that's people get caught up, caught up uh, by surprise and, and hurt themselves because they're, they weren't ready to, to lift something or move a certain way. And now we can't plan for every position the body can get into. I think we should regularly challenge different postures and different positions. And you're going to be doing this with not maximal loading. And I think that's important. Not every lift or exercise you do needs to be max effort, right? I do think you you have some of those that we talked about, the big lifts. Let's make sure you load those up and let's make sure you challenge yourself. But then we're going to do some of these secondary exercises that put you in different in different positions just to expose yourself to different ranges of motion. And I like to look at this a, a couple different ways. If I'm going to look at, you know, postures, for example, and I know I've, I've talked about this on previous episodes, but I just think this is a simple way to look at your program and see how often do you find yourself 
in these different postures. And the four postures that I typically talk about are um, number one is supported. So we're in a supported posture. Um, and this is typically the easiest position to be in. So this is like laying on the ground, laying on your back, laying on your stomach, laying on a bench, something like that, because you don't really have to do a whole lot, right? Especially thinking about your spine and, and controlling that stability, the ground or the bench or whatever really does it for you. So these aren't bad exercises. They're just a great starting point. So doing exercises on your on your back, doing it on your belly, um, you know, it's, these are positions that sometimes we don't often get into. Think, you know, if you've had kids uh, or been around, you know, infants, you know, we have tummy time, right? Just to get them to strengthen some of the muscles of the posterior side. We spend so much time uh, sitting or on our back that we just don't don't expose ourselves to these postures and that posterior chain gets really weak. So just doing simple exercises like, uh, you know, on your, your, your belly in that prone position can really go a long way. So that's the first position. So we do some things uh, in that supported posture. Uh, from there we go suspended. And what we mean by this is a, a posture where your spine is now suspended. So we're adding a little bit of load to your spine, um, but not too much, right? So this would be like quadruped positions or plank positions, right? So you, you're in a push-up position, your hands and feet are on the ground, and the rest of your body is suspended. Or you're on all fours, maybe doing a bear crawl or a bird dog exercise, um, and now your spine is supportive. So now we have the challenge of you don't have the ground anymore. You have to use your own strength to stabilize. Now, the important thing is as I go through these postures, especially once we get past that su su supported posture, now you have to consciously think about, you know, what, what's my back doing? What, what position am I in? I can't just do the movement. I have to think about my posture and controlling it as I move. So if I take like a bear crawl, for example, um, I'll watch people do bear crawls and you just see their butt going side to side, right? They're losing or they're arching their back or they're sticking their hips up in the air. They're losing this, this posture that we want to see. So something as simple as taking like a yoga block or a foam roller and putting it on their lower back and saying, hey, now I want you to do the exercise and don't lose that, right? So now they actually have to be more conscious of not just the movement, but the posture that they're in. And that's really the whole point of these, these types of drills is to really understand your posture um, and when I say posture, I'm not just thinking, you know, like a soldier standing up tall. I'm just thinking I'm putting you in a posture and I don't want it to be affected by the movement that you're creating, by the exercise that you're doing. Right. So we teach you that suspended posture. Uh, from there, we go stacked. And this is kind of a transitional posture. So this uh, we're not really incorporating the legs quite yet, but we are in a vertical position. So this is exercises we do half kneeling or kneeling or seated, right? So we're, we're challenging the core a little bit more to stabilize, fight gravity, and then we perform the exercise in that position. And then the final posture would be standing. And this we can actually break down into the three main standing positions that you would typically be in that all activities are going to eventually be in. Uh, that's going to be a symmetrical stance, so like a squat position, or a squat stance, a uh, split stance, where one foot is forward, like a staggered stance, and then single leg. And then I can do a whole bunch of different exercises. Uh, in those different positions. So those are the four basic postures that I think you need to think about, am I exposing myself to these different postures now? And again, it doesn't have to be max resistance. It's just being in these different postures and moving around and seeing if you can control it. You know, you add weight to see, can you maintain that good posture, even with the weight added or the movement added or whatever it might be. From there, once you get this, this general idea of these different postures, then I just think about um, the next kind of piece of this is just exposing you to different planes of motion. And we can do this in any of the postures, um, or this can be kind of once we get standing, uh, we, we expose you to um, 
different planes of movement. And, and this is something maybe you're familiar with, maybe not, um, but we have three planes of motion that we typically move in. So we're going to have our uh, sagittal movement, the sagittal plane. So that's kind of forward and backward movement. This is what 90% of most exercises that you see out there are in this plane, right? So a push up, a lunge, a squat, um, you would, uh, you're moving that front to back movement going up and down. The, the next plane of motion would be our um, frontal plane, and this would be more that side-to-side -side movement. And then finally, we have the transverse plane, which would be rotational movement. So if you can cover all these different areas, you're really looking at all the different forces, all the different muscles that need to control those forces in all different planes of motions and in all different postures. So obviously, this does get pretty complex. Um, but when we can pick exercises that challenge you in these different planes of motion, then we are preparing our body, preparing the joints to handle stress in all different planes of motion. For example, most people aren't ready to handle stress and, and movement in the transverse plane, that rotational movement. And that's where we see a lot of injuries, especially non-contact injuries often occur in that, that rotational plane. Uh, so if we're never exposing our body to stresses in the rotational plane, it's hard to really get stronger in that area to prevent some of these injuries from happening. So we can we can train this one of two ways. We can either just move in that plane of motion, or I can just challenge you in that plane of motion. So let me hopefully explain um, what that means exactly. So we might move in the sagittal plane. So let's take a lunge, for example. So this is a pretty easy way we can see um, uh, different planes of motion with one exercise. So if I lunge a forward lunge or a reverse lunge, that's all in the sagittal plane. It's just forward and backward movement. That's what most people are comfortable doing. And that's where most people's strength is in that sagittal plane. But what if we incorporate a lateral lunge? So now we're moving in the frontal plane and we're challenging completely different muscles. And even the muscle fibers that are the same um, or the muscle groups that we're training that, that are, are active in both of those movements, we're hitting the fibers differently, different angles, different planes of motion. We're attacking the joints a little bit differently. And all these things are going to uh, again, make make those joints more, make those muscles more resilient, exactly what we're trying to do. So doing a lateral lunge is getting us into that, that frontal plane. And then I might do a transverse lunge, which would be an, a rotational lunge. Um, so you um, you might see something here where if, um, if I was standing on top of a clock and I took my left foot and I'm going to step behind me and open my hips up and stand on with my left foot to like seven o'clock pointing with my foot pointing out and then lunging down, that would be a rotational lunge. So now again, we have similar muscles active, but we're hitting them completely different, different ways. The hip muscles are moving in completely different ways. I'll put a video of, of a lunge matrix in the show notes so you can see exactly what I'm talking about with these different motions. But that's kind of a simple way of, of taking a movement like a squat, like a lunge, like a step up, a push up, whatever it might be. And I just start incorporating different planes of movement. So in, instead of just the one, I add a different direction or multiple directions to it. The other way um, that I think is very underutilized is you do a sagittal plane movement, which is what most people are familiar with, like your forward lunge or a push up, something like that. But you add a resistance in a different plane. So for example, let's say if we um, have our lunge, for example, and what I'm going to do is take a band and tie it off to a wall. And then you're going to hold that band so the wall is to your right. 
And you might have seen like an anti-rotational press or a pull-off press where you press that band out and then pull it back in, right? So the wall's to your side, um, you press out and the band's trying to rotate you, but you don't allow it to happen. So that press out is a uh, sagittal plane movement, right? I'm going front to back. Now, or I can add a lunge. I can hold that band and I can step forward and lunge. That lunge is a sagittal plane movement. But what you're doing by adding that band, you're adding a rotational force to the movement. So now those muscles that control rotation are going to be much more active. So we have a sagittal plane movement with a rotational force. Another example, again, I use bands a lot because it's just easy to incorporate different planes of motion. What if you're doing a push-up, right? So if you get down on the floor and you just do some push-ups, um, that's, again, not an, a pretty standard sagittal plane movement. What if I take that band again, it's tied off to the wall, and now I'm going to wrap it around your, your hips. So your body is parallel to the wall. So the, the band is trying to pull you towards the wall. So you're feeling your hips get pulled to the side. So now I'm adding a frontal plane resistance because it's trying to move you to the side, but I want you not to allow that to happen. I just want you to do normal push-ups. So now you do your push-ups with that uh, resistance pulling you sideways. So sagittal plane movement, frontal plane resistance. So these are pretty simple ways that we can incorporate different planes of motion. So I know this is kind of an intro. I want to dive into this topic a little bit more, but I'm going to give you bits and pieces. But I'll, I'll show a few exercises in the, the show notes on what exactly I'm, I'm talking about here, because I think this is such an important piece to resistance training and your strength training. And, and most people aren't really, they might be doing it, but maybe more on accident because they saw a cool exercise online and they just wanted to try it out. But I want you to understand why would you incorporate these bands or or, or weights or, or hold a weight a very specific way in order to, to challenge the body this way. And once you understand what, what the reasoning behind this, now you're much smarter with how you put your programs together and why might you want to use a band or a sandbag or a kettlebell or whatever it might be. They're all great tools, but they can challenge you in different ways. So it's not just about adding more weight. That's one piece of it. But it's a, I think more importantly, it's about adding different challenges to your body to expose it to these different postures, to challenge you in different positions and planes of motion. And once you get the, the hang of that, now you're more resilient. You're going to perform better. You're going to have more functional strength that's going to be more applicable to real world activities and out there on the course when you're doing things that aren't so easy like pushing a bar away or squatting with something on your back because we rarely see something like that in a race so it's it's going to be important that we incorporate these specific types of drills into your training to really make you more resilient and and perform better so hopefully that makes sense um, but like i said in um, future podcasts i definitely want to dive into this topic more and make sure that this all makes sense so you're incorporating it into your training plan. All right, everyone, as always, I have a great interview for you in this episode. I am going to be chatting with Scott Knowles. Scott's from South Georgia and started doing obstacle course racing in 2015. Since then, he's done 165 Spartan races. In fact, he loves Spartan races so much. In 2017, he started a podcast called I Am a Spartan Podcast that he does for fun outside of his regular work, which is a great podcast, and I highly recommend you guys checking it out if you haven't listened in yet. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. And I just want to say you have a voice that I can relate to. 
hell better voice for podcasting than I do. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. I sometimes I feel it's it's kind of boring and you got that southern that southern accent. So I married a girl from Mississippi. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's always fun to hear the southern southern twang. But I always thought, you know, every time I listened to your podcast, I was like, man, this guy sounds so per- professional. He's got such a monotone voice, you know, it never gets really excited <laughs> and it never gets, you know, lower than it should. I mean, you, you just got a great voice for it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but you know what I, I love about you? At least I, I remember when we when we chatted last time uh, for your podcast, I, I don't think you edit. You just you just do it. You get it done. And I sit here and I stress and I start over and I re-record and you just, you just power through and you just get the job done. So. Yeah. And it, it and that equals like bad sound quality. I, you know, I'm notorious for having a lot of background noise, you know, like that white noise in the background, but here recently I started kind of playing around with audacity and trying to kind of take some of that background noise out and trying to like, level out the volume issues in it just to kind of tighten it up a little bit better but you know it it, it's hard for me because i have to learn all this stuff and i'm not the most computer savvy person when it comes to that but i i caught on to some of it pretty quick but uh i still haven't started recording like the zoom style meetings like we're doing here and that's something that i'm i'm trying to work towards as well yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm the same way. I, I self-taught all this stuff, and I have a long way to go. And um, you know, if I just spend a little bit more time, I bet I could clean up that audio stuff. And um, but as long as we get the message out, that's all that matters, right? So that's the um, way I feel too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm super excited to, to chat with you. And I, I figured let's start for maybe those that that haven't listened into your podcast yet. Um, what what got you started with obstacle course racing back in the day? Um, so I work at, I mean, I was already like working out all the time and like running just local 5Ks, you know, just for fun, you know. And I, and I enjoyed, you know, running 5Ks competitively, you know, trying to place in my age group then too. But, I, you know, I work at a hospital and um, I'm kind of work maintenance over like a building offsite. It's like a three-story building. And uh, a couple of guys in there were like, hey, we're going to go do the Spartan race. And I uh, want to know if you want to do it. We'll kind of run it together as a team. And I was aware of Tough Mudder and Spartan race at the time. But the thought of going out and like trashing some good running shoes, you know, just was like, man, that's just an added expense. You know, you might not be able to use them again after you run in them like that and running with your feet wet. You know, because I was already kind of having like IT band issues and I'm figuring if you're running wet shoes and getting off camber and a lot of these situations, you know, it, it's just not healthy for a runner. But anyway, long story short, you know, there was about five of us and we all kind of started training and watching the videos for it. And our first race was in Conyers or the Atlanta Spartan in 2015. And man, it was cold. It was like 30 degrees and I think we ran on Sunday and it was like the same day as they had the Spartan cruise. And we were like, man, we should have went and did the Spartan cruise instead, you know, it would have been a lot warmer. And, but, you know, we ended up doing it and I was thinking, you know, this is probably just going to be a one and done thing for me. But man, when I finished that race, I was just, you know, the adrenaline rush from finishing something like that. And, 
you know, I was expecting it to be like these clean cut trails you were running on. And it wasn't that it was these bushwhack running trails, you know, where it, it was adventure, you know, it was adventurous to run these trails. And I guess that's what my best way to explain it is when you come out of class at recess and you're running on to get to the, you know, the swings on the playground, you get that feeling again, like you did when you were a kid and I'm addicted to it. And, uh, like I said, I mean, at the time I was only running five K's and I was happy with that because, you know, I was having problems with my IT bands all the time. And so I was thinking, well, man, I won't never be able to do like, you know, a beast distance. That's just too much. My knees will never be able to take it. And, you know, I think like after we did that race in March at Conyers, we ended up doing like a a three times trifecta that year because just me and all my buddies just got so hooked to it. It's it's so funny when because you know I have a kind of similar story and, I, and actually a lot of people I talk to when you when you find out their first race it's never like I'm super pumped about this thing and and I'm gonna like love it it's always like I don't know this sounds kind of silly I'm gonna hurt myself I don't really want to do it so I feel like it's it's funny when you talk to people who've never done it you get those looks of like what it doesn't even sound fun why why are you doing this but the only way you can really explain it is like, just do it, right? Just try it. And you're, you're going to see because it, it, yeah, I get it. When, when you hear us talk about it, it doesn't sound great, but it's just so funny that once you go and do it, it's like, yep, it got me. Can't wait to do the next one now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how, like, once you do a few of these races or, you know, you do a tough mudder, you know, and you do all those obstacles that are like really tough you you realize that the stuff you deal with on your day-to-day aren't that tough you know like i was when i worked at the hospital all the time you know i was just riding the elevator all the time now i i use the stairs you know i mean it's not that hard to go up a few flights of stairs you know multiple times a day you know and it's better for you and parking farther away from the building you know i mean it's it's not that big of a deal and you're just you know adding more health to your your lifestyle you know, it's just all the things that come up in your life that seem like they would be a big deal to other people that probably don't race. They seem simpler to us that, that do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm curious, you know, you have the podcast now. What what brought you to starting starting that up? Well, I think I went, I was on my way to the last Wintergreen um, Spartan race. And we didn't know it at the time, but I was glad I was able to do that venue one time before they quit going there. But, and I was just, I come across Obstacle Dominator, you know, the one with Ben Greenfield and Hunter McIntyre when they did it back in the day. And, you know, I started listening to it, not knowing a lot about who these people were. And, um, you know, I just learned the athletes and man, I think the whole way to, uh, Wintergreen and the whole way back, I just listened to podcasts the whole time. And I was amazed at how, you know, instead of listening to music, if you listen to podcasts, it just makes the time go by so much quicker when you're on a long drive. And I think I discovered uh, Heather's and uh, I forget her ex-husband's, but the Overcome and Run podcast, I mm-hmm. discovered yep. theirs on the way yep. back and started listening to theirs as well. And then I found yours right after that. Yeah, so you just uh, want to get kind of your message out or just uh, talk to people, a little bit of everything? Well, and, and you know, this is totally like not my thing to 
put myself out there and I hate the way my voice sounds, you know, and a lot of people say, Oh, I like, I, like it. I yeah. hate the way it sounds. I mean, I, I hate country music and I sound like somebody that would dig country music and I can't stand <laughs> it. But, and, and so I like, well, and I listened to some of the podcasts and when people would do like the on-site interviews and stuff like that, where their sound quality isn't that great. And I was thinking, well, maybe I can just do one kind of, you know, low tech and maybe it won't sound that bad you know and at mm -hmm. first i i couldn't really figure it out and i came across this app that was called i think it was called my opinion or something podcast and it was like a a, a really easy way to, to more or less start a podcast and you could upload your own art to it and everything and i don't i think within that first year they like emailed you and said hey we're fixing to bring this podcast uh, hosting because they were hosting it too and they were bringing that down and so then I had to move all my stuff to another podcast and I took like probably two months off trying to figure all that out because I'm trying to also do it free because I, did, I didn't have a lot of money at the time so I didn't want to invest a lot into it because I didn't know yeah, how long yeah. I was going to do it you know and yeah. so but yeah at first my goal was like well I'm just going to try to interview somebody that goes to the different races you know and just talk to them and interview them on how their race went and then it kind of evolved into I would just see people on Facebook and they would do something and it would inspire me and then I started reaching out to elites and stuff like that you know but it was something that I would have never thought that I would have started and, and got into but I was I liked listening to podcasts so much I was like well Maybe there's not a lot of this out there. So I figured mm -hmm. maybe I can add to it, you know. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, you're doing a great job. So it's it's well, it's great stuff, great interviews. So always good stuff on there. Um I wanted to talk a little bit about your training. Um so obviously you've done a ton of races over the years. So a couple questions on your training. Number one. Uh, what do you do you do anything in particular like or let me ask this first do you suffer from you know you mentioned IT band do you have those chronic injuries that come up um, do you feel like you keep yourself pretty pretty healthy and you don't have many issues I know I, I saw your, your recent posts and um, you know Fayetteville we could talk about that a little bit too and that's kind of a you know one of those things that can just happen um, but kind of what do you do just to to take care of your body to to be durable enough to do all this stuff that you want to do we start there well I, at first i think what i did wrong was is you know everybody says when you start running and i probably you know i've always skateboarded my whole life but i started getting back into running probably around probably 20 2008 maybe and I should have done a couch to 5k program and they were even doing one at my hospital, but I was like, no, nah, I'll just do it on my own. I don't want to go up there and have to do it on their time. I can just do it. On my own. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't research it at all. And I just like, well, I'm just going to go out and run. And so like the first day I ran like a half a mile and the next day I ran one mile and just, you know, just did too much too soon and just wrecked my knees right off the bat and tried to like use braces to get through it and was running through pain. And I was like, this, it just didn't work. And I, I finally got like a little tibia fracture just from mm -hmm. overuse. And um, I pretty much had to take like, they said, you'll be fine in eight weeks and you can start back running. And that wasn't the case. And it took a 
while before I could actually start back running and I lost all my speed and fitness, you know, I was bike riding, but you just, I didn't get that. I wasn't bike riding enough to suffice for the running that I was doing. And, um, so about that time, you know, I went through a divorce and I started working out and lifting weights. And I think when I started doing that, I got more strength in, in my legs and my knees and that kind of helped the IT band syndrome kind of go away. And over the years, I've slowly but surely kind of ramped up my mileage very, very slowly. And um, it's kind of just helped with, you know, not getting injured, you know, and I've, I've done some yoga and need to do more probably. And, um, you know, I try to do a lot of stuff that pertains to races. Um, I try to run sketchy trails that prepare you for the races, you know, and there's, um, I mean, even in training, I have a lot of close calls with rolling ankles or tripping, but I mean, the best way to prepare for it is to do more of it. And, you know, and that goes for these mountain races. I live in the flatland. So, you know, before I got an incline trainer that I found on marketplace, I mean, I was, I had a $10 a month, you know, membership at planet fitness. And I was just, hammering on their stair climber, you know, and when I could get to some trails, I would try to find some trails that I could run downhill too to get that same kind of, you know, feeling and training for going downhill because it's not all about going up. It, there's a lot about going down, especially in Spartan, because if you're not running downhill on technical terrain, you're missing a key part of what's going to be at some of the tougher races. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, um, and, but that's probably where a lot of people suffer some of those injuries, right? And they're just beating themselves up because they're not ready for that, that kind of stuff. And Absolutely. I think actually you, you said a, a couple really important things there. And actually in this episode, I'm, I talk about exposing yourself to uh, different positions and, and with your training, because in a race, you, you don't always know, like, what's going to happen, right? How your foot's going to land and all these different things. And, you know, obviously you can't plan for anything, but I think a lot of our training and like strength training, like you said, um, so many people are caught up on the strength side. Like I need to get stronger. And and obviously that happens, but a lot of it, I, I try and look at it as it's going to make you more durable, right? Yeah. You're getting strong. So you're like, that's, that's the main benefit of strength training, unless you're just, you need a lot of strength. When you are just, when you're lifting and, and putting yourself in these different positions, you're just becoming more durable. And that's, right. I think that's the long game, right? So that, just to kind of recap what you were saying there, I think that's all important stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, and another thing to add to that too is, you know, practicing heavy carries, getting used to having that weight and running with it, you know, and you want to start off on like a mild terrain, of course, you know, if you're doing, going to add this to your training, but that's one thing that will help you, you know, prepare for that day, you know, cause I remember I would used to would do a five, you know, do like a sprint race and just feel like I went through the worst, you know, full body workout of my life. And now that, you know, you train, you train for the race and not for just going to the gym, you know, mm -hmm. you'll prepare your body to take that beating better where, you know, you can do your super on Saturday and your sprint on Sunday, or you can do the whole trifecta in a weekend and come away not feeling too bad, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, I think, yeah, you're totally right. Carries and rucking and, and running and getting mm -hmm. used to that. Cause it, it's so much of the race is, is kind of those, those, um, obstacles and experiences. The, the one warning I always give. So I had a client super into wanted to get a ruck, wanted to get out there and, and, and just go nuts and try to tell them, you know, just chill. Like, yeah, this is awesome. A great thing to add, but they went the first time they wore it. They decided to go on a you know decent hike, climbs, downhills, all this stuff, and then his knees are bugging him. And I'm like, you know, you just it just find flat, like just like weightlifting or anything or running, right. right? Don't go right for that mile if you've never run before. So that's always my word of warning for anybody listening that is thinking about doing something like that. It's it's awesome, and you absolutely should. But just like anything, be smart about it. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's like I tell people too all the time that are thinking about doing their first ultra they're like and they might say well i only run like 10 miles a week you know can i do an ultra yeah you can do an ultra but it's going to hurt like hell especially on that second lap and you're going to feel it for days after the race maybe weeks that's why i say if you prepare for it it's not going to hurt you as bad and you'll enjoy it way more absolutely yeah. Yeah. So you brought up the ultra. That's, that's actually I, something I wanted to, to talk with you about, because I know you have a decent amount of experience uh, running and being successful at the ultra. So how many, do you know how many ultras you've done? Uh, 13 or 14. Yeah. That's awesome. And podiums a few times, right? Yes. Usually that's the distance where I will place in my age group, you know, unless something bad happens. Yeah. Well, how about we start with the bad? So walk us through uh, your last race. What So what happened there? So, man, and it was so frustrating. And I always ask people, you know, what's their favorite race and what's their least favorite race at the end of my in podcast interview. Mm -hmm. So after this race, Fayetteville is, I mean, it's my least favorite race. And not because it was a bad race. It's because at mile nine into the race, I mean, I was running great. Uh, I dropped from second to third in the age group wave because I fell my spear and Matt Cordy, he was up front and he was running really good. And so I separated from him at the spear and uh, I was running with two other guys and we had just finished the sandbag on the ultra loop and it was right around mile nine. And we come to, and a lot of the terrain on the ultra loop was very technical, a lot of down trees and branches you were kind of jumping over and stepping through. And we come across this ditch where if you went down in the ditch, it was like probably two feet deep of water and kind of sketchy, but it wasn't that long of a jump. And uh, I was right behind Ben and Ben kind of went to the right where it narrowed and got a little bit where it wasn't so far of a jump and he jumped across it. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. And, uh, and I jumped across it too. And I, I mean, I, I don't remember what the terrain looked like. I, I usually don't have to think about that, you know, cause mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty good technical runner, but just that day, I just, I landed right. I jumped across it. It was probably like a four foot jump or something. And I landed right into an ankle roll. And my first reaction was, well, maybe I can shake it off because I've rolled my ankles before. And um, I tried to kind of, I took one step to go back into a run and I was like, no, this ain't happening. And I was like, I've sprained my ankle pretty bad. And um, 
I thought I was going to have to actually call for, you know, make it to the next volunteer and tell them to call them to come and get me because I couldn't get back into a run and walking was hurting really bad. And I said, well, I'm just going to walk a little bit and see if it will kind of numb out or get a little better. And I was able to kind of slowly work myself into a, a hobbling jog. And uh, I was like, well, I'm just going to go with this, get back to transition and, and see how it goes, you know. And um, I managed to keep some decent paces. You know, I figured that anytime it went like downhill and I'm talking about even like a two foot downhill into a ditch, I had to walk and very gingerly step down into anything like that because pointing my foot down was it did not like it. I could go up fine because up felt good because it felt like it was stretching it out. Mm-hmm. And it at this point, I think we were at the plate drag. It was hurting just as bad to walk as it did to slow jog. So I figured, well, I might, I may be able to finish this race. It's just going to be a lot slower than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And so I come into transition and it's like, well, I'm going for it. I'm going to finish this. You know, I'm, I'm, I had to kind of change my mindset from competitive to survival because I just wanted to finish the race at that point. And uh, my buddy Brett, he was in there and he was about to quit too because uh, he was wanting to do the ultra factor where he did the ultra, went back out for a beast and then did the super and the sprint the next day. And he, he come into transition, realized he didn't have enough time, and he was just like, well, screw it, I'm just going to quit, you know. And so mm-hmm. I called him for a few choice words and told him, I was like, hey, man, if I'm going to finish this with a rolled ankle, you can come and finish it with me. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, all right, I'll go out there with you. So we ended up finishing that whole second lap together, and I was able to, I was able to finish it, and it was tough. And the, the one thing that just kind of frustrates me the most about it is because is it wasn't – it was the fact that I had to change my mindset to survival and I had to just totally come out of competitive mode and uh, just cheer everybody on as they passed. But I was just having a good day and I knew I was having a good day and I was, I was ready to push until the end. I mean, everything was going according to plan. I felt fresh. I felt good. I was running effortless and it was just, it was sad. (laughs) <laughs> when I had to do that for sure yeah and I think then my next question that I want to ask you I think you kind of just answered it right there but um so you've run a ton already it's not like you were just trying to get your first one um you've you've finished many races before and you knew that yeah this you're not going to podium at this point right now mm-hmm. it's just I'm trying to finish and I think how many people probably would have taken the easier path of just that that's it. What do I have to prove? Right. So it sounds like a, a couple things helped you. And, um, you know, you said mindset, and I think that's such an important thing, right. Where you were able to, to tell yourself that, okay, it's not, it's not about winning right now. It's, it's about having fun with the day and having a, a buddy out there and just having a little support. I mean, I think both of those things, uh, anybody can take from that, right. Where that that's because that's a hard thing to swallow and kind of do what what I set out to do. And, you know, I think a lot of people would just say, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. And, it, and, and that's just my personality too. You know, I'm a community person and, you know, I, my goal is to go out there and just push myself and have the best race that I can have. You know, 
I mean, it's, it's great to, you know, get an age group podium, but that's not what it's about. You know, I go out there just to have the best race I can have and have fun with my friends. You know, if I have a buddy out there that's in my age group and they pass me, I'm cheering them on as they go by. I was like, good job, man. And anybody that's ran a race with me, if I pass you on course or you pass me, if I'm not just completely dying, you know, I always say good job or, you know, you know, way to go. And even in the ultras on the, on the second loop, I talk to every single person I pass, unless it's like a huge group of people or they're already talking and I'm, I don't want to interrupt them or something like that. But I just try to talk to everybody, you know, it gets me out of the mindset of, man, this sucks, man, I'm suffering. If you talk to everybody you see, it just makes it, it makes it go by faster to me. You know, it takes everybody out of their mindset. And I think that's that's some great advice right there for anybody listening, because I think we all it's hard not to to say those mm -hmm. things to yourself, right? When especially you're you're climbing up a hill that you just really don't want to be climbing up and you're telling yourselves how much it sucks. And I, I just don't want to do this. But I, I love that, you you know, just putting it on other people of just, hey, you're doing awesome, you know, like get, stop right. focusing internally so much, start helping others out. And all of a sudden, you're probably walking faster, maybe jogging now or um, you're not thinking about all the the crappy stuff going on, and I think that's a, a great mentality to have. And, and again, Tess, I uh, remember that, uh, we raced together in uh, North Carolina, and um, I wish I could say I was passing you, but I think I was pretty far behind. And you caught, you know, came around a loop somewhere, and you know, cheering cheering me on, and I think I was carrying a sandbag or something, and probably was telling myself, "This sucks. I'm pretty far behind right now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it helps. Yeah. If I know somebody's name, I'm like, let's go, man, pick it up. You know, I'm, I'm, I just, I just think it's fun. I want to know everybody out there. I want to be friends with everybody out there just so I can talk to them during a race, you know, or cheer them on, you know, it's just, that's, it's fun to me to do that. When you go to a race and, and you don't know anybody, it's, it's not as fun. If, mm -hmm. you know, I try to meet somebody new at, at least at every race I go to at least one person, you know, and it's not that hard to do and, everybody out there's just super friendly, you know, and, it, and it's just like you said, when you're in an ultra B situation and you're passing somebody that's doing maybe their first beast course and you see them walking and they might be having, you know, the worst time of their life because they may have bitten off something more than they could chew. So if you run by them and say, Hey man, good job. Keep pushing. You know, it might be just a little bit of motivation it takes to get them to the next obstacle or finish the race. And we, I feel like everybody needs to do that. Yeah. So if and you're I, one of those people that wants to concentrate on your race and you don't want to talk because you feel like it's going to affect your breathing when you're running during the race, don't run next to me. Or you can run next to me and I'll just talk your head off and you don't have to say anything back because I'll do that. Yeah, too. <laughs> I was just gonna, you're, you're probably the best person to run next to, right? You just you just keep going and they can focus on their breathing and and uh, maybe just get a little um, one or two words in as you're breathing. But yeah. Um, so uh, let's let's so like I said, you've had a lot of success with the ultra. Um, for somebody that maybe has done one and hasn't done well, maybe they didn't finish, maybe they just want to do better or run their first one, whatever it might be, you know, what, what do you typically tell somebody that's, you know, thinking about it or didn't do well, just what, what do they need to focus on anything in particular mindset training? 
anything like that. Well, I'll explain it the, the same way, like when I did my first ultra, um, I remember we did, we did the Carolina beast, I think in 2016 and me and my buddy, Michael, we were in the same hotel together and I just remember how much of a beat down we got from doing, cause this was back when it was like a, I think it was like a 16 mile, you know, beast because they weren't, you know, having standardized distances. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the hotel room and I said, man, there's no way I can do an ultra. There's no way my body can do that. And in 2016, one one guy in our group said, well, I'm going to sign up for it. And he didn't even sign up for it, but me and, two other guys in our group we 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 signed up for it and said well we're going we're going to do it and it hurt like hell because i was that guy that was only running like 15 miles a week at the time and and my knees started bothering me on the first loop and they bothered me the whole second loop and this was when in 2016 there was only i think three locations you could do ultra killington new jersey for the first time ever in tahoe and so we chose New Jersey because it was the easiest of the three. And um, this was the first time I'd ever hiked up mountains like that in my life. And it was it was a, a rude awakening. So when, when I finished that race, I was I told myself, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a year before I did do it again. But that next year we went to New Jersey, we knew what to expect. And in 2017, we just did back to back beasts. We did a beast on Saturday and Sunday, but we had some friends that were running the ultra. And I realized something when I was there running the beast, I was like, you know what? It, I kind of miss being out there suffering with all these people that are doing the ultra. So after that, I've done at least three ultras a year, every, every year since then, except for 2024. Yeah. yeah. And, I guess what I, I like the most about the ultra is, is because it's a whole day of doing what you love, you know, doing the obstacle course. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, you're going to suffer, but there is a huge amount of difference between crossing the finish line and getting that buckle than crossing that finish line and getting another beast medal. It's just, it means so much more when you've gone 30 miles and jumped over that fire, you know, cause you've done double the amount that you would do in a beast. And it's, I'm addicted to that feeling. And I would have never thought myself in a million years of being a long distance runner, but I guess I am, you know, <laughs> but for somebody that's wanting to do their first one, I would say, find one that's an easier one to do. And when I say easier, I say the ones that they have here in Carolina or the one that they have in Texas. And isn't the one in slow, isn't that kind of a flatter? That is view? pretty, that's a very runnable, runnable course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Ultra. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to start off, I would start off with one of those, which was an option I didn't have. And I totally would have done that too. Mm -hmm. um, and just, slowly but surely ramp up your running volume and it doesn't have to be a hundred percent running all the time you know on the weekends like let's say you haven't worked your way up to you know an hour long run or a two hour long run you know it doesn't have to be a run you can go and find you a good trail 
you find you a trail that's got hills in it and just do you like a day hike, you know, hike for an hour, hike for a couple hours, work that time on feet up, especially if you're somebody who has like a desk job or something like that. I'm on my feet all, all day long. So I have a little bit more above, you know, people that, you know, work at desks, but you know, you got to work that time on feet, you know, and you do that along with doing the running that you're doing, you know, during the week or on the weekend, you know, like, let's say your long run on the weekend, maybe five miles, you know, or maybe four miles, you know, do your four miles and throw you on a little pack and then hike for another hour. You know, you're still getting stimulus, you're getting time on feet and you're getting continued time to where, you know, you're working your way closer to being in an eight hour race. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's always the big thing that people, I think they don't realize it's not just, it's this many miles. And I guess you could say that for any race, right? Even if you're going to run a sprint distance and you've never run a mile before, um, the amount of time on your feet. And if you're carrying stuff, um, that just adds up so quickly. Right. And it's, and it's a lot of people aren't going to run in an ultra. So don't be caught up on the running too much right if you can that's great 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 way to to build that endurance but I, I love what you said is just getting out there hiking and doing it for you know build up to it but you know spending a day and get in nature and, and do your hike and and that's all great training and it doesn't have to be this super intense thing but by the end of the day you're gonna be fatigued right it's, it's different it's just like you're you know you hiked all day and I think a lot of those types of days are a great way to prep for it yeah, and I know some people that will go and try to walk a whole ultra, you know, and if, if you if you walk with a purpose mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe take a little bit of jogging here and there, it can be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's your next ultra coming up? Do you have anything planned yet? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm signed up to do the Killington Ultra, so hopefully I can have my ankle healthy by then. So that's How's it feeling right now? It's, it's pretty sore, man. I'm, I mean, I'm walking around at work because I usually get 10,000 steps just walking around at work. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I'm, it's something I'm, I'm having to be on it, but it's getting better, but it, it's slow. It's slow. Yeah. I'm, two, I'm two weeks in almost now. So yeah. it's pretty yeah. slow. I was thinking it would be a little better than this by now. But what's, what's hurting my feelings the most is, is um, I'm not running in that I feel like when I get to start running again, it's going to be like starting all over again. Yeah. But I'm sure just with everything you've done, it it may, but you're going to get it back fast. So I just have to always keep that in mind. Um, So uh, I'm curious what, like, you know, when you're not injured, what is a typical training week look like for you? So typically what I'll do is um, I'll try to run I usually will run anywhere from 25 to 40 miles a week. And it's kind of like something I'll do on time a lot, but I really don't train by mileage so much. I usually do it by time. Um, Mm. And the reason why is, is because I don't want to say, well, I'm going to run 15 miles on Saturday because a lot of the trails I run on, it takes a long time to run. 15 miles on the trails because they're just not clean trails. Mm -hmm. So I usually will try to do a two to three hour long run on Saturdays. And um, sometimes, you know, it'll be something where I just try to stay in zone two or zone three, or I might do a ladder in there, you know, depending on if I've done any speed work or, 
you know, threshold work during the week. And um, I try to at least with my incline trainer, I will try to do at least one workout a week where I'm just trying to get some gain. And it, it might not be running, it might just be power hiking because you'll notice really quick when you go to these races that are super steep, you might be able to run uphill for a little while, but when it's constantly going, you're going to be power hiking and you need mm-hmm. to have that power hiking skill down pat. I would love to say I could run all of them, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm right up there. I, I try and make it all up as much as I can downhill because I know my uh, uphill is uh, definitely not one of my strengths because, uh, you know, it's, it's that power hike. And, um, but, you know, some people, you, you see them go for it. And then those are the ones you can typically catch up to because they're just done by the time they get to the top. Yeah. And I usually will do like some type of weight training, you know, twice a week where I'll try to work, just do my legs and do my core and work on my grip and pull ups, you know, and there's nothing yeah. scheduled to it or nothing like that. I just mm-hmm. go and do what I feel like doing, you know, a couple of times a week, you know, just to try to do something like that. And on a good week, I'll usually work one carry workout in there too. And I'll usually go, go to a sandbag just because it's, it's just easier to run with a sandbag than it is with a bucket. Gotcha. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope that that ankle heals quick so you can get back to all that, that stuff again. Um, well, you, so you mentioned your least favorite race. I have to ask what's, what's your favorite. So, um, I would probably say, and it's a love hate relationship, but that's Killington, Vermont, you know, okay. and, the only race distance I've done there, I mean, I've done a sprint on Sunday after doing the ultra there, but the only distance I've done there is the ultra. And mm-hmm. after doing that, I don't know if I could go there and do, I mean, I'm sure I could go there and do a beast, but if I went there and did a beast when all my friends were doing the ultra, I would be like, man, I wish I would have signed up and done the ultra. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the only race and I haven't done Tahoe or, I really hadn't got out to West Coast much at all, except for Texas. So I, I don't know what those ultras out there have to offer. Mm-hmm. But all I know is, is Killington's cheaper for me to get to than, say, mm-hmm. Utah or Big Bear. Yeah. But um, it's to me, it's the race that still scares me that I won't finish. It's mm-hmm. it's tough. And I know a lot of people out there like, well, I'm going to sign up and do the Killington Ultra. And they may have not done a mountain ultra yet or they may have just done like the carolina ultras but they really need to do tri-state first and the reason why i say that is because new jersey tri-state ultra is a great ultra to run but it's not you don't have as much climbing there you have a little bit better running terrain in some parts but the difference is, is at Killington, they have the ability to send you up more than a mile at one go and to run you down more than a mile at one shot. Whereas at New Jersey, they may barely have enough mountain to run you up one mile at a time. Mm-hmm. And at New Jersey, they run you through a lot of technical terrain, which is great practice for Killington. And they have a lot of 
a lot of good flat running there too. But at Killington, I can remember every piece of land on that mountain is flat because there's not much of it. You're either going up or you're going down. And besides some of the ski slopes, I mean, you're either, it's technical. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ski slopes you'll be going down pushed over grass and there's like rocks underneath it. So that's why I say it, it's not just a, about a climbing game. You, you got to be able to run downhill on sketchy terrain. And there's some really sketchy trails in the woods at Killington that they send you down. And, um, it's, it's just a skill you got to work on. And I mean, my best time at Killington, is 10 hours and 10 minutes, I think. And that was good enough for that year. It was good enough for second place in my age group. And I was like, I don't know, 10th or 15th overall in all the age groups. So mm-hmm. if anybody out there is thinking about doing Killington and they haven't done Tri-State, just think about that. It mm-hmm. was 10 hours and that's how good it was. It's a 15 hour shutdown on the race. So yeah, it's just something to take in perspective. Yeah, and, I'm, I mean, yeah. and, and I don't, and I, and I did this in my podcast too. I'm not trying to crush anybody's feelings or say, Hey, I'm better than you. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to tell you. And I did this with my last interview, Jonathan, because he went there and did it. And, um, but I'm just, so in a flat venue for an ultra, I'm in the six hour range at Killington. I'm in the 10 to 12 hour range. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what my, and I'm, I give you this example just to know how difficult this venue is. And it's like, I'm not trying to crush people's hopes and dreams of trying this race one day. I just say, if you haven't done New Jersey first, you should do New Jersey because it's easier and Number one, it's way more affordable to get to, like, you know, as far as travel goes. So that's why I say go do that one first. That way, you know, you can have a great idea of what a mountain ultra's like, what it's going to take to finish it, and then compare your times there to people that you know that have done Killington. And then you can kind of get an idea of, am I ready to do this race that's so hard? Because mm-hmm. I think Killington usually has a 40% finish rate. And it, yeah, a lot of it's, it's, it's brutal. A lot of it's got to do with that first cutoff transition. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've done the, uh, so I've done Killington of uh, the beast and, um, and did it kind of as a, I, I guess you'd say fun. Me and my wife just wanted to, we were on the East coast and, and did it and i i mean i i remember the start line i don't remember another race where you start on a hill like leaning forward right because you're <laughs> you're on such a steep incline and then you know and it, i was joking because my wife actually started running and she took off and i'm like where are you going like let's let's <laughs> go easy out of the gate because that was even just kind of taking it easy and just having fun with the day right. man it, it's it's a brutal brutal course out there but it's gorgeous too awesome. so those 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 when you're out on top of the mountain and you know it was in fall the leaf changing luckily it wasn't snowing i know it can snow sometimes but um it was a beautiful course and uh but but yeah i mean that's you got to be ready to take something something like that on 
Absolutely. And, and, and the best part about running the ultra too is because it's just, because when you start the race, it's almost dark enough that you need a headlamp, but mm -hmm. the sun usually comes up and you don't. And by the time you get to the top of the first or the second climb, the sun is rising and you get to look over the whole valley and just watch that sunrise. And you're like, yeah, this is why I, I come and do this every year. I mean, it's, it's just, it's awesome. And like I said, being and being a flatlander and being able to go there and just have a, have a good race is just, it's awesome to me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And that's well, why I would say it's, that's my, it's a love hate relationship, but that absolutely. That, that's absolutely my favorite race. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on today and, and uh, chatting with me. It's been awesome and great, great catching up and, and seeing you. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Yeah. I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for your podcast. So everybody can check that out. Um, anywhere else people can uh, look you up, check you out, follow all the, the crazy stuff you're doing. Yeah, just on Facebook and uh, Instagram, you know, I'm a Spartan podcast. And if anybody ever has any questions about, you know, anything that has to do with Spartan or maybe, you know, how to, what to expect at World's Toughest Mudder or what to expect in a Spartan Ultra, I mean, just hit me up, DM me. I don't care. People do it all the time. So I'm awesome. always open awesome. to talk. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. I'll put links in there for all that so uh, people can check it out. So uh, hopefully I'll see you out at, at some point next time I'm on the East Coast. Hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 102. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and making this a part of your OCR. A uh, big thanks to my guest today, Scott Knowles. Uh, definitely check out in the show notes for the podcast uh, to uh, reach out to Scott if you have any questions at all um, plus some more information on checking out our sponsors don't forget to check out the Amino Company and the track for their awesome products um, that's it for now I will catch you guys all in episode 103 until then keep training smart